Ramona Shelburne, the talk of the NBA offseason has been the disintegration of the relationship between James Harden and his team at the 76ers. But if this is the low point, I'm wondering what you would say was the high point for the Sixers and the beard. <laughs> you know, I saw him uh, in Los Angeles in January. The Sixers came through town and it was like, Everybody was saying all the things they're supposed to say. Joel Embiid was beasting people, and he was saying, oh, but Harden is setting me up. I have to give credit to my teammates. No, I want to get too much credit. You know, all goes to him. It's been uh, amazing since he's been in Philly, uh, you know, just making everybody better, including myself included. And James Harden actually had kind of a bad game one of the nights that I saw him. He, he really didn't get involved in scoring. He was sort of just running the offense. And you'd expect, like, this is the moment where he'd be kind of pouting or, or somebody who was not happy would say, like, oh, man, I only took six shots. And he was fine. He basically just was like, look, I sacrificed to come back here this year and take less in this contract. I am willing to sacrifice my role on offense because I have never won before, and this is what we need to do to win. And we got the win tonight. He was hitting that sacrifice script to a T. But there was something that stuck with me, and it was just the way that he talked about, obviously, I can do more scoring. Obviously, I am sacrificing. <laughs> and it kind of resonated to me, like, if you really are sacrificing, if you're really on board with this, maybe you don't need to talk about it so much. Yeah, he sacrificed, but I don't think that was his idea. It wasn't really coming from within. This was something he was asked to do. There's never been an NBA player quite like James Harden. At times, a basketball savant with a game seemingly fine-tuned to modern analytic trends, but at other times, he can be all but invisible on the court. And his inscrutable persona off the court leaves fans guessing as to just what is going on inside his head. Which makes his latest falling out with the 76ers perhaps unsurprising and also unpredictable. So today, just days before the start of Sixers training camp, Ramona Shelburne takes us inside the team and inside James Harden's mind to explain exactly how this all went south, how soon Harden will show up, and how this whole saga may finally come to an end. I'm Clinton Yates, kiddos. It's Tuesday, September 26th. This is ESPN Daily. Passion. Drive and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has got you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. 
With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Okay, Momo, you are one of the most well-connected NBA reporters we have. You've been covering this drama between James Harden and the Sixers all summer. As you noted, there was one point when things were actually looking up. This relationship was blossoming in one way or the other. Obviously, it is anything but that now. So we ask you today to track exactly how things got so bad. But to start, let's go back to the beginning. What's your sense of where James Harden's head was at when he first got to Philadelphia and to the Sixers? You have to go back and think about how he came to Philadelphia. Essentially, from the minute Daryl Morey came over to run the Philadelphia 76ers, he started trying to trade for James Harden. Like, James Harden helped Daryl Morey build the reputation he had. He so thoroughly believes in his game and his abilities. He just had to have him, right? Like, this is just his guy, and he wanted to build the Sixers around Joel Embiid and James Harden. Right. And by the summer of 2021, that's two full NBA seasons ago, Harden had forced his way out of Houston, where he and Maury, the general manager, had first linked up. He'd been traded to Brooklyn, which appeared to be better positioned to win a title than any team he'd ever been on. But how was it that the stars were aligning and keeping Daryl Morey's Harden dream alive? So Harden has left this max extension on the table in Brooklyn. And... Ben Simmons is struggling with Philadelphia. Like, there he won't play for them. And James, obviously, is is falling out with everyone in Brooklyn. The Kyrie Irving situation deteriorates. James isn't feeling what's going on and with, with the Brooklyn Nets. And he ends up asking for a trade. The Nets and Sixers basically have disgruntled stars who can solve each other's problem. And so they trade them for each other. And when James comes to Philadelphia... One of the biggest things that I, I think I felt in reporting on it at the time, and I definitely feel looking back on this trade, is that this probably should have happened originally. Like, he just should have gone to Philadelphia straight from Houston. There shouldn't have been this stop in Brooklyn because, it, one, it wasted a lot of time. Two, James and Daryl Morey are a pair. They are two guys who have made each other's career. This is two people who believe in each other so thoroughly that they have to be together. And that might be good and it might not. And I think you have to understand the complexity of that personal relationship of somebody who really truly believes in you and has always given you everything you need to feel and play like a superstar. That becomes very important when you look forward to how this relationship disintegrates because how do you signal in this business that you believe in somebody? You pay them. You mentioned the word sacrifice, something that kept coming up over and over. For NBA fans that hear about multimillionaire athletes who have huge contracts, what exactly did Harden have to sacrifice, air quotes, to make this work? Break that down for us. I mean, if you just break it down, he gave up about $14 million, right? The difference between the player option he declined and the actual contract he signed for last year was about $14 million. That's a lot of money. But what he really seems to have given up is this idea of himself as a max player. James has always thought of himself as a max player because he's been offered max contracts every single time. 
He signed three max contracts in Houston. He was offered a two-year, $100 million extension by the Rockets before he asked for that trade. In Brooklyn, they offered him a max contract extension. And so everything that he is going to see after that is it's less than the max. And in this league, Clinton, it's are you a max guy or not? Like a max guy is how you walk into the room. It's like a letterman's jacket. I'm on the team, man. I'm a max guy, right? And so when James comes to Philadelphia, I don't know. You and I are pretty smart in terms of how negotiations go. If you've left two max contracts on the table, either by saying no to them or by not engaging in that contract negotiation, you're expecting the max the next place you go. You're expecting, oh, they wouldn't have traded for me unless they're going to give me a max. To me, I think there is a psychological issue here, which is you saw yourself as one thing for your whole career. You gave up money and role and your ability to score. And that, in his mind, is absolutely justifiably saying, this is costing me money. Like, if if you want me to prove that I'm a max guy, let me play the way I played in Houston. If you want me to prove that I'm still worth it, give me the ball and let me play like it. Do you think at age 34... For all the scoring, for all the changes in roles that James Harden has forgotten, the father time is in fact undefeated and you can't just switch back and forth between these roles with ease. That is, a, that is a question that every aging superstar must ask themselves. Like when you watch him play, he is still a brilliant basketball player. He's still a great player. I, I sense little things where he can't turn the corner quite like he used to. I mean, there's, there's, there's maybe a step here or there. Yeah. How much of that is age? How much of that is role? How much of that is you're not doing this all the time? And so then when you're trying to, to summon this and you're playing in a way that's not really built for you, you don't feel quite as comfortable. I mean, everything I know about superstar athletes is that they got to feel like a superstar to play like a superstar. Like some, I'm not talking about just kissing your ass. Like you've got to feel that. That's why you walk into the arena dressed the way James Harden does. It is a fashion show on the way to the arena because he needs to feel like a superstar. Like, that's that swagger. That's Deion Sanders with the sunglasses. That's James Harden with the, you know. Poofy clothes. Poofy clothes and the rainbow jacket with the, with the you know, faux fur or whatever he's wearing, right? Balenciaga, Givenchy, you say Laurent. Like, that's why he dresses the way he does. That's why he acts the way he does. It's an image that he needs to feel in order to play the way he plays. He didn't have that swag to me last year. Is that self-awareness? Is that just confidence? Is that I'm not being treated this way or I'm I'm sacrificing? Only he knows the answer to that. But when it came down to cold hard facts, all-star game, fan voting, media voting, coaches voting, James Harden had made 10 straight all-star games. And this year, he did not make it. So when you want to get into, am I being appreciated for my sacrifice? Am I still regarded as one of the best players in this league? It did not sit well with James Harden when he did not make the all-star team. So Harden can sense that his standing around the league is falling, but when it comes to the dynamics within the Sixers, and specifically between the player and the coach, Ramona, you uncovered details on how things deteriorated there. What specific episode comes to mind as to exactly where that started? So this is very early in the season, December in Houston. James has been out 14 games. 
with a foot injury and you're playing the Rockets. Like at the time, the, Ro- the Rockets sucked. They were trying, they, they weren't good. They're young players. This was easy comeback game for James in the town he had been an MVP in. It was rusty. You know, he wasn't shooting well that game, but somehow this game is close at the end. It should not have been close, but it was. And towards the end of the game, you can see why this doesn't work. James tries to find Embiid on a pick and roll. Embiid catches the ball, but fumbles it out of bounds. Sixers looking to retake the lead. Well, off the roll. And Embiid is blocked and was the last to touch it. Rockets basketball. Joel is saying how on earth... While the stats say that the Embiid hard and pick and roll is one of the most efficient, best plays in basketball, your eye test says Joel Embiid is not a dunker. Like Joel Embiid is a pick and pop and more of a finesse guy. It's not natural. Like he can do it, but it's not natural. And the other side of it is James Harden is not really a catch and shoot three guy. Like even though that's going to be there for him all the time because... Joel Embiid's going to get doubled and he's going to pass the ball to James and he'll be open. James Harden is a guy that needs to be dribbling and does the step back three. And so all of these things happen in this end of the game sequence. Embiid fumbles the ball out of bounds. It's a turnover. Harden basically doesn't pass him the ball again. There's a couple of pick and roll opportunities, pick and pop opportunities. Harden takes all of the last shots. He makes one of them. It's a step back three, just like he always used to. Passes up the first attempt at three step back. Triple from James, and he cans it. Tie game. 126 to go. The next one is a shot from the elbow. Miss. Pulls up. Elbow jumper. Rounded out. And then the last one is kind of the hardest one to swallow if you're a Sixers fan because Harden gets the defensive rebound. Doc Rivers trusts him to call the right play and organize the offense. He drives the ball up the up the court, and B comes over to set the pick and roll. But... He doesn't take it. Instead, he clears out. Kevin Porter Jr. is on him. And he does what James Harden does. Step back three. But, like, everybody knew he was going to do that. And Kevin Porter Jr. blocks the ball. Step back. And it's blocked. Anthony Melton grabs it. And it goes out of bounds. So it'll be Rockets ball on the sideline. Blocks the shot. Step back three. And now, instead of Harden being the hero, everyone is wondering, like, why didn't you at least look for Embiid on this? Mm. Like, you just got blocked instead of passing the ball to Embiid. And so the film session afterwards, this all gets called out publicly. And and James essentially says, like, I just couldn't get him the ball. It wasn't open. But this is the first time that this, this public call out has really happened. And it happens early. This is December. And it's, The fact that Doc did this early was obviously trying to send a message, set a tone for the rest of the year. But when you look back on the season and how their relationship devolved, it's a pretty important moment. Despite all of these behind the scenes, back and forths during the season, the Sixers were a good basketball team last year. Joel Embiid wins the MVP award, second round of the playoffs. They're up on the Celtics, can't close it out, completely banged out in game seven. What was the specific fallout for James and the team, and how does this affect how the Sixers approach things in the offseason? Well, first of all, you're a Hoops fan, right? So I know you watched this game. Yeah. Have you ever seen a team fall apart the way the Sixers did at the end of Game 6 and then absolutely lay an egg in a Game 7, the, the way that, that ended? Definitely not. Definitely not. 
Now the Celtics in that third quarter, they just took the life out of the Sixers. Took the will of the Sixers defensively, and at some point during the course of that run, the Sixers let go of the ropes. I've seen a team fall apart in one game, but I've never seen it carry over, especially with a team with that much at stake from a game six to a game seven. I, I remember watching that game six and the way those last four minutes unfolded. And it was like every bad thing that had happened with the Sixers happened in those four minutes. And it's rebounded by Smart. Celtics in control. Boy, body language. There's still time here, but Philadelphia in the aftermath of that. Yes, very lethargic, Doris. The, the, and Bede and Harden were walking up the floor like the game's over. Harden got kind of frustrated. They weren't running the offense. Nobody got the ball to Joel Embiid, and he was not demanding the ball either. And nobody could make a shot. Sixers down by eight. Harden lost his balance and fell. No foul called. Harden looking at the officials and nothing coming back the other way. They're four minutes away from going to the Eastern Conference Finals. And just nobody can really explain this meltdown. It just happened. And they have a couple days to recover, but game seven's in Boston. And it was just, there was no fight. It's a 25-point game. Maxi the floater. And finally, over six minutes between points. Actually, six minutes. It was almost just like they died in game six and, and could not get back up for game seven. One of the most dominant second halves we've seen in a playoff game in a long time. As the Boston Celtics will advance once again to the Eastern Conference Finals. After that, it was really hard for them to go back to Philadelphia. Like, you should hear Philly fans the day after Game 7. They were just disgusted. Like, disgusted with this team. Don't even come back. And I think when you lose like that, there's going to be changes. Like, it's... it. The, you can say whatever they did. How they won the third most games of any team in the league the last three years, or Embiid won the MVP. Harden led the league in assists. None of that mattered because of the way they lost in Game Six and Seven. It was brutal, and so it became clear that the only way to convince James Harden to come back was if Doc Rivers was no longer the coach. James and Doc had fallen out so much over the year that. You know, they they were still this idea that James could go someplace else, but he would not come back if Doc was the coach. And I think it felt at that time like the Sixers had chosen between James Harden and Doc Rivers. Okay, we're gonna ride with we're gonna ride with James. Doc Doc is a casualty here. Like they, you, he didn't win. His mission was to win, and he didn't deserve to get fired. But this is where we are. And I think at that time we all just assumed James was going to come back. It was just a question of what's the contract going to look like. Okay, now we're in the offseason. Doc Rivers is gone. And Daryl Morey and James Harden and their deputies have to sort out that question of what kind of contract James will sign. How did the early stages of that negotiation go? By early stages, do you mean no stages? Because the Sixers <laughs> could not actually talk to him, right? Right, of course. Because free agency doesn't start until June 30th. And the Sixers lose game seven on May 14th. That leaves like six weeks in between where league rules say they can't be discussing this. The only conversations they were allowed to have were, are you picking up your player option? And within those conversations, there was frustration expressed on, from Harden's side of like, hey, what, what's, if, I pick, if I don't pick it up, what's the offer going to be? There's a sense of like, if you're a max guy, generally speaking, at some point along the way, somebody's going to put their arm around you and say everything's okay. And so I think by them not talking to him or telling him 
giving him assurances let him feel very insecure. Essentially, it became clear to James in the way that the Sixers were just not communicating any kind of, hey, you're going to be okay here, you're going to be fine, that, that he was not getting a max offer. Like, he was not going to get that max extension that, in his mind, he had put on hold twice. So when you put something on hold, on hold, on hold, and then eventually you just assume it's going to be there and it's not, especially from your guy, the one guy that has believed in you the whole time, there was this um, betrayal. I mean, I, I just kept hearing that word and the way James felt betrayed, like, like I'm a max guy and you believe in me and now all of a sudden you're not even talking to me. The way I'd heard it described is they, they told him, you know, we're going to make you an offer as soon as we possibly can. As soon as we are allowed to make you an offer, we will make you an offer. Just sit back and wait. And James had until June 30th to pick up his player option, which was guaranteed money. And so do you want to sit back and wait and just hope the Sixers offer was going to be good? Or do you want to take the guaranteed 35 and ask for a trade? The big story tonight is the future of James Harden. It's tonight's breaking news here on SportsCenter. The Beard picked up his $35.6 million player option with the 76ers. James Harden has likely played his last game in Philadelphia. He is now going to basically turn his back on the Sixers, the team that he was arm-in-arm arm with just a year ago. And so now we have a circus. I think it's his expectation and also the Sixers that they're going to find a trade We'll see how long that takes. But what are the landing spots in your mind right now? After the break, in unprecedented fashion, James Harden goes public with his feelings. For the ones who get it done, Granger offers high-quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Delicious, meat nutritious, in the snack that packs a real protein punch. Wonderful pistachios, one of the highest protein nuts out there. Each one-ounce serving has six grams of protein, giving you over 10% of your daily value. Wonderful pistachios also come in a variety of flavors and sizes, perfect for enjoying with family and friends or taking them with you on the go. And you're on the go a lot, taking the kids to school, hopping from meeting to meeting, shopping for groceries. Well, the good news is not only are wonderful pistachios a complete protein, providing all nine essential amino acids. They're also great for all your adventures. So whether you're a pistachio purist who loves cracking open every nut, or you prefer the convenience of no-shells pistachios, Wonderful Pistachios has got you covered. Grab Wonderful Pistachios and elevate your snacking game today. Visit wonderfulpistachios.com to learn more. Okay, Ramona, so we left off with James Harden choosing to pick up his player option for the 23-24 season while also officially telling the Sixers he expected to be traded. So now the ball's in Daryl Morey's court, and he has to make the call as to, one, how much effort he's going to actually put into trading him, and two, how hard of a bargain he wants to drive with prospective trade partners. 
How did that process progress for James and Daryl? You know, I think at the time, he felt like Daryl gave his word, I'll work with you on a trade. Okay, that should have been enough. But you go back to this idea of, okay, he can work with you on a trade, but if nobody is offering a package that is commensurate with James Harden's value as a superstar in this league, is it incumbent upon the Sixers to make that trade? Did he make a good faith effort? Did Daryl Morey make a good faith effort to trade him? Is he willing to take sort of what's left, it may be a little bit less than his value because of he gave his word, because he feels bad James didn't get a Mac. All right, this next part was very public globally. Oof. The Sixers, they did explore trades from my understanding, but that didn't go well. However, the part in between China in front of a bunch of kids calling out Daryl Morey. Daryl Morey is a liar, and I will never be a part of an organization that he's a part of. Let me say that again. Daryl Morey is a liar, and I will never be a part of an organization that he's a part of. People thought it was fake and AI because it was so intense how he directly called that out. Can you remind us exactly what went down from the standpoint of what Harden said versus what trade offers were actually on the table? Yeah, I'm glad you pointed out that people like first thought it was fake because I was one of them. I'm like, he said what? Right. (laughs) Like, Let me watch this video again. What? (laughs) Like, I've never heard somebody be so direct. And then he said it again. He clearly had a script that he was and a message that he was going to deliver that day. And when you back up and look at what was going on, it's pretty obvious what happened. A couple of days earlier, the Sixers had informed James Harden and his representatives that they were not going to trade him, that they had looked for a deal. They had talked to the Clippers. They talked to the Knicks. They talked to a couple other teams. Nothing got serious. And the, the Sixers were like, we're not going to keep doing this. We're not going to keep trying to have these conversations. We know we're not going to go anywhere. I know they told James, and then our own agent, Wojnarowski, broke the story. And James did not take that well, to the point where I even heard, you know, his representative delivered a message like, "This this is going to get very personal and painful now. Because he doesn't have any leverage right now. This is the, the only leverage he has is how painful can I make this for you? How personal can I make this for you? How destructive can I be? We've seen this movie play out before in Houston and in Brooklyn. And now it looks like it's starting to play out in Philadelphia. And it's just amazing to see this again. While GM Daryl Morey is handling the day-to-day negotiations here, he, of course, serves at the pleasure of Josh Harris, who is owner of the Sixers. Harris is a guy you've been reporting on. You have a profile out on him right now on ESPN.com. And what makes him interesting is that while he's monitoring what is I don't know, potentially the thorniest situation of his tenure. He's also got his bearings on all sorts of other things. I mean, he's now the new owner of the Washington Commanders, Magic Johnson. What's up? Oh, and by the by, he also owns the New Jersey Devils of the NHL and Crystal Palace in the English Premier League. And he also has a stake in an NASCAR team. How is he himself approaching this hardened situation? And what do all of these other potential interests mean for how this may play out for the 76ers? Well, it's interesting because Josh Harris, like, very quietly became one of the most powerful men in sports. But, like, in terms of a forward-facing profile, he really hasn't had one until recently. This summer, Josh Harris has been everywhere. And I know you're a D.C. guy, Clinton, right? So, like, I'm sure you've been following this very closely. Like, Josh Harris is everywhere. Josh Harris is at fan events, and he's like, we're going to kick the Cardinals 
And you're like, whoa, okay. I've never heard you talk like this before. Josh Harris bought beers for an entire crowd at a radio station party in D.C. to celebrate the sale of the team. There were thousands of people there. He bought beers for every single person there. Wow. Okay. So I had had the opportunity to go hang out with Josh Harris and spend some time with him at the Commander's first preseason game. And we do this interview and he's, uh, you know, I I had like an hour with him. And I think Josh Harris... Like when I asked him about James Harden, he goes, you know, look, we want to find a solution that's good for both us and James. It's a really unfortunate situation. And I think they, I think you'll see them operate a little differently in the future in terms of how they build this team and how they construct the team um, based off what they've learned with the last two superstar dramas. I'll build on that as the last thing I ask you, where do you think this goes from here? Not just for Harden, but for the Sixers and potentially at that point for the rest of the league if they do manage to pull off some sort of trade before the season starts. I think when you look at the players involved and the parties involved, you know, there is some argument that says, don't start camp off this way. Don't start Nick Nurse's tenure off this way. But if you really look at what James Harden said, he said his problem is with Daryl Morey. That's one guy. That's the GM. And he's not playing for Daryl Morey. Like he's playing for the Sixers. He's playing for his team. He's going to play for Nick Nurse as the head coach. They're doing training camp at Colorado State, so they're going to fly across the country. And I think the expectation is that James Harden's going to be there. I mean, you know, how much will he participate? Are we talking like Ben Simmons, cell phone falling out of the pocket during practice? Like, you know, I don't know. Is, is he going to show up in the fat suit? I don't know. I don't think so. <laughs> when I ask people what they think will happen, everybody gives you a different answer. Like some people have said, you know, James is training really hard and I think he shows up and plays really hard. And he's he's pissy and mad all year, but he has to rebuild his value so that he can get traded. And then there's other people who are like, nah, he'll just he'll just become a problem and, and make himself so toxic they'll have to trade him. So I, I don't know, we'll see. I mean, there's also option, option C, which is show up and have a, a lower back tightness on the first day and then stay away from the team. But I do think... He eventually gets traded. I don't know if it'll be now or closer to January or February when there's more leverage. But right now, because he picked up the player option, he's essentially a mercenary. He is a guy on a one-year deal who needs to play well to get his next contract. Amazing to think that people are still showing up in Colorado and they're not choosing to go to Boulder. Incredible. Incredible. Thanks, Momo. (laughs) Thanks, Clinton. I'm Clinton Yates, kiddos. This has been ESPN Daily. Talk to you tomorrow.